Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7? 1 Corinthians 7. It's about uh, the last fifth of your Bible if you're getting used to turning there. If you've been with us, maybe your Bible's starting to open up to that more often. If you didn't bring a Bible, we should have some black ones in the seat rack, hopefully near you. It says NIV on it. If you pull one of those out, I believe it's on page 927. Again, you can see that on the screen in case you need to look at the page number. And we're going to look at this passage today. And today we're going to talk about single life. But I want to make a comment right at the beginning that may sound incredibly profound. A church is made up of married and unmarried people. There's my profound statement. (laughs) And I got that by reading 1 Corinthians 7. Um, When we sometimes think of a, a church, we may think only of our own marital status situation. But the truth is, is that a church is made up of married and unmarried people, and the Lord loves it that way. Now, when I study this passage, last week Steve helped us by introducing the subject of marriage. This week we're going to talk about single life. But sometimes it helps me, rather than getting caught up in all the details and trying to understand all the things that I'm trying to understand about a passage, to just stand above it all and say, okay, what what is ultimately, why is all this so important? And what I want you to see in the first line of the notes is this, is that Jesus' vision... You know, when he was dying on the cross, what did, he, what did he see? What did he want? And people have said he was thinking of me individually, and I certainly believe he could have been doing that. But I'll tell you, he had something even bigger than just individuals in mind. Jesus' vision was for a new community honoring one another. That new community is called the church. And he died for a church, a people of his very own. Acts twenty twenty eight says he shed his blood to purchase a people of his very own, that he might have church. Now, as a pastor's kid, I can tell you that when we hear the word church, we may say, oh, I know about warts and all, and man, that's not a perfect place. No, I agree. But he dreamed of something that here on earth would begin to be a foretaste of what we'd experience in heaven, even with all the challenges that come with that. Now, here's what I want you to see is that Romans 12, 10, did I, did I share, did I, did I give the second word of honoring one another or did she, they just give that to you on the screen? Did, I, did, did we get the first line so far? Was it, uh, a new community honoring one another. Did I say that? Third service, sorry. Elderliness setting in. Uh, so, so Romans 12, 10, here's what it says. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Honor, to honor someone means to value them. It means to see them as just as important as you. And so he pictures this. And again, a, a new community, the watching world it's not that they don't experience community other ways, but what they want to know is, is like, what kind of community can we experience? He wanted us to experience this new community, and Jesus came to earth to make it possible. But so the second thing in the notes there, if you're following along, is that in case you didn't already know this, why is this letter in the New Testament? In part, in this letter, Paul is answering the Corinthians' questions. That's part of what's going on here. He not only is their pastor, he helped start the church in Corinth. He introduced many of them to Jesus. But now he's in Ephesus, east of Corinth, writing back and talking to them as a pastor about what they need to know. Here's the thing. Many of them had been pagan, completely pagan before this. And then they meet Jesus. And so one of the things they wanted to know is, 
Like, I know what my old life's like. What I want to know is how do I live this new life, this Christian life that's different from my old life? So they had tons of questions. I remember when I first came to know Jesus, I had more questions than I had answers, but it was part of the sign to me that I was growing, that I really wanted to understand some things. So they write, and in case you wonder where I get this, chapter seven, verse one says, now for the matters you wrote about, translated, you asked me some questions and now I'm gonna try and address them in this chapter or keep addressing some of the ones you've been asking. And so last week we saw that he starts out by talking about marriage. But then he also comes to this subject of what about the unmarried or what about people that are single? And the question he's going to try and answer is, is it okay to get married? Is it okay to be single? What should I think about this? Now, why is he being asked this question? Evidently, there were some leaders after Paul started the church and had to leave that came in and were saying, you shouldn't get married. It's only good to be single. And they, they forbid marriage and they went to an extreme. And Paul says, look, look, I'm a single person and I agree that sometimes it's better to be unmarried, but I don't agree with the same reasons you do. You're trying to act super spiritual and it's different than that. So he's answering these questions. And, and I'm telling you, is it, he writes like a pastor with such a shepherd's heart. I've really come to admire that as I was reading this week. Well, one more thing before we uh, dig into this passage. And this is something I saw that's not part of the verses that we're going to study, but it's part of the larger chapter. As I was reading 1 Corinthians 7 over and over, I noticed in verse 17 something that if you're here today and you're saying, oh, darn, I'm not single, and so now I'm going to listen to a message on single life, or if you're single and you're going, oh, darn, he's going to talk all about being single, and I hear enough about that all the time, I just want you to know this, this has something for all of us, and here it is. If you're following along, the target for us all is to live as a believer devoted to the Lord. The target for us all is to live as a believer devoted to the Lord in this world. And um, where do I get that? Let's read 1 Corinthians 7, 17. I've listed it in that first gray box so we can see it together, hear it together. Let's read. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned him just as God has called them. Now, look, if you look at that verse, who is supposed to live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them? Who? Each person. In, in this new community, in this church that he's died to, to, to make possible, it doesn't matter whether you're married or single, the target for us all is to live as a believer and be devoted to him. And I just need to say this. I forget that. And I'm a pastor. And so this week, that really hit me. So what's it mean to live as a believer? You know, nowadays, when you and I hear the word believer, it's gotten so watered down, it's unfortunate. But when they, knew, when they heard the word believer, they didn't just hear believer in my head, the right information about Jesus or stuff like that. They knew that to believe was to entrust your whole life to someone. It meant to trust to rely, to submit, to surrender, to give. So to live as a believer meant to live as a person that's given yourself to Jesus for the rest of your life in order that you might do life and, and enter into the life he has for you. And to a lot of people, that sounds like death. And so nowadays, what we've done in the gospel is we've told them, like, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. The problem with that is, is that when Jesus came on the scene, he said, no, repent and believe 
Why did he say repent? Because he understood that before we can believe, we have to change our minds about whether or not we're going to be in charge of our life. And so many people don't do that, so then the whole Christian life is a battle that over and over again, they have to keep deciding. And even for those of us that have changed our minds, we have to keep having our minds renewed. So just again, this idea of living, Lord, show me with my only time here on earth how to live as a believer in whatever situation. And here's the deal. You have a different situation than I have, but all of us can live as a believer if we want to and we choose to. So he writes this. Now, let me just uh, pray, and then we're gonna look at his counsel that he gives. And then we're going to talk about what would have happened if we got better and better at honoring one another uh, as a new community. And I'm just excited thinking about that. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we just admit to you um, what we're not yet, but we thank you that we're on the way. And we pray that you'd help us keep growing in our understanding and growing in our practice of what you always meant for us to know. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, let me uh, start with verses seven through nine in chapter seven, and uh, and we can pick up a little bit of his heart. Now, again, think about this. The apostle Paul never married. So you're basically writing to a guy that's never been married, and you're saying, should I get married? I love how he responds, verse seven. I wish that all of you were as I am. In other words, I I wish all of you were comfortable being single because I'm finding it to be a great approach to life. But then he says this, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Do you see the balance? These other leaders have been trying to say, you should be like this. He doesn't do that. He says, look, if you're asking me, I think the way that God's called me is great. But you have one gift, I have another gift, some of you have another gift. It's pay attention to the fact that God doesn't have one size fits all when it comes to being married or single. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, so it can be a good thing. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now in verse 25, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now translated, here's what he's saying. If you're asking me to give you a hard and fast rule, I can't do that because Jesus never taught explicitly on what you should do. He gave principles, but he did not tell people exactly what they should do. There's a choice. You have a choice. There's freedom here. And so I'm going to tell you as best I can as your pastor and shepherd, I'm going to write to you the counsel that I You know, under the mercy of God, he's assigned me to be an apostle. He's assigned me to be one of your leaders. So here we go. And I love that because he simply says, what I'm about to share with you is my best discernment of how you should think about these things. And I believe the Lord's given me some things for you to think about. So here we go. Now I'm going to read verses 26 through 31. And uh, let's see what we can learn from this. Because of the present crisis, he's talking about the context they're in. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Uh, Someone has said, when the waves are high, it's not a good time to change ships. Okay? So here's what he says. I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? 
do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Now let me tell you again, just summarize what he's saying in these verses. If you're following along, he says, as you're wondering whether you should get married or you're trying to determine what you should do, consider the present crisis, the fact that time's short, and the world is passing away. So he's saying, consider the present crisis because of the present crisis, he says. Then also, time is short, and this world's passing away. What does that mean? And then he says these things like, if you're married, act as if you were not, and stuff like, what's he saying? He's not saying, get out of it. He's simply saying, these things are not ultimate. Therefore, live holding those things loosely as far as making them your highest priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, be a person that understands that this isn't going to last forever. Friends, sometimes we say, you know, our, our marriage will last forever. And the truth is, is that in heaven, Jesus said there is no marriage or people given in marriage. What's that mean? That marriage is an earthly relationship that God has ordained that's good, but it is not the biggest thing in life. And therefore, we need to make sure that we don't love our families more than we love Jesus. My brother is a missionary in the Philippines. And over 25 years ago, when he started sharing with our family that he was going to be doing that, the natural question that comes up in any parent's mind is, what what about us? My parents had to work through that. Cindy's parents had to work through that. They had to figure out about taking their kids there. They felt called there. And they came to a place where they realized when Jesus says, unless you love me more than your father, mother, brother, or sister, everything you own, you cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? Is that he doesn't want us to love our family? No, he doesn't want us to love our family more than we love him. Because we can't be devoted to our family the right way if we're not devoted to him first. He can show us how to do that. But these are tricky things, but he's saying, okay, so here's what I want you to do. When you're thinking about getting married, make sure you do not be naive about it. First of all, he says the present crisis. What's the present crisis he's referring to? Here's the answer. I don't know. Some have conjectured, commentators have said that there was a famine about this time in history that swept through that part of the world, and a famine in those days had a huge ripple effect. And so they're saying, maybe that's what was going on. Some have said, wait a second, this about 10 years later, the Roman emperor Nero is going to come and he's going to persecute Christians at an all-time level like never before. Paul, who's writing from Ephesus, had already just gone through some pretty severe persecution, so maybe he's starting to feel like, oh my goodness, in light of this, make sure you don't enter into this quickly or lightly because it could be trouble city if you're doing it with marriage and a family, even tougher. But whatever it is, he's simply saying, don't, I mean, I I was reading this week, in Uganda and in other countries right now, Christians are being persecuted. And when you take a person's family member and you begin to beat them up or imprison them or kill them, the ripple effect of that is enormous. 
And so Paul's not saying, don't get married because you might go through trouble. He's saying, just make sure that if you're thinking about getting married, go in with your eyes open. Second thing is he says, time is short. And what does he mean? Does that mean Jesus is coming back any minute? More than that, I think he's saying, look, you only have so much time here on earth. If you're going to be devoted to the Lord, the bigger question is, you need to ask, how can I best serve the Lord? Can I best serve the Lord married or unmarried? Lord, what do you want me to understand and know about that? So some people have, Jesus said, some people for the sake of the kingdom have stayed single because they felt like that was the most effective way they could serve the Lord. Other people have said, that's no problem for me. I like being single. The idea is, is that you have to say, Lord, what about, what should I understand and do? And that's what he's getting at. This last thing is the world's passing away. Man, it's so important for, I don't know if you, if you struggle with this, but here's what I've noticed. When Jesus says is that when he, you know, planted his word like seed on the ground, he said some fell on thorny soil. And he said that represents people that because of the uh, worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things come in and begin to choke that relationship with Jesus. Man, I can relate to that. If I've watched anything begin to whittle away at my devotion to Christ, it's usually the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, or the desires for other things, maybe even good things. But they begin to become more important, and all of a sudden, I, like I'm thinking about what I'm going to get at Amazon this next week more than I'm thinking about Jesus. What, what do you want me to understand today? And it can happen so easily. And he's just saying, make sure before you make these decisions, you take this stuff into account because you're free to choose. The Lord has given you that freedom, but that freedom comes with a responsibility. And he's going to come back to that later in this chapter. So notice this, that he also says uh, in these next few verses uh, that there are two potential advantages, if you're following along, of remaining single. There are two potential advantages of remaining single. Let me read verses 32 through 35 because that's where this idea comes from. He says, I would like you to be free from concern or anxiety. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Notice, by the way, he addresses both men and women there, which is unusual at that time in history. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. As your pastor, I'm trying to give you counsel so that you'll live in undivided devotion to the Lord, whether you're married or single. Now, I listed that verse 35 that I just read in the second grade box. Would you mind reading with me again? I want you to see this idea uh, for yourself. Let's read it. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Well, here's, remember what the, some of the leaders were doing that were creating problems in Corinth? They were saying, you need to do this. And they were controlling and manipulating people. And he's saying, look, you just need to know, when I'm sharing this, I'm not doing this to restrain you. The little picture is I'm not trying to put a lasso around your neck. I'm not trying to put a harness around you and pull you around and control you with my ideas on this. I care about you. I want for your own good, for you to know the fullest life possible with the Lord. 
And so just know that, but notice that the whole goal, remember, is undivided devotion to the Lord. It's to be wholehearted in our responsiveness to him. And so make decisions that you don't make that less. Friends, again, it is so easy to pick a marriage partner or to get involved with someone who does not have the same interest in the Lord. And when that begins to happen, uh, my human love becomes preeminent over the call that God has in my life and your life. And how do we stay true to that? And remember, that's the target to go after. So um, notice this, that here's the two potential advantages. He says in this, these verses, he says, I want to spare you from the trouble. Okay, so it, we can be spared of added trouble in this life. We already talked about it. If there's persecution or if there has to be separation or if there's other things. But the other idea here is, look, all of a sudden the math changes. Like now if you have to feed this many mouths or you have to like pay attention to these people's schedules, you're just in a different math equation. You just need to understand that. By the way, why are there so many jokes about marriage? In part, it's because we all go, oh my goodness, this was harder than I thought. Or this is more complicated than I thought. There's more things to keep in mind or think about. So he just says, I want to spare you from some of that if you're only thinking about getting married because society is pressuring you or because you're lonely. And that's the way you're going to handle your loneliness. Friends, marriage does not take care of loneliness. Honestly, I'll just tell you that some of the most unhappy people I know are married. And here's the thing I would just say to you. If you are thinking about getting married... Don't get married because you need someone and don't think you can live without them. You know why I was attracted to Trish? She didn't need me. She could live fine without me, but she wanted me. (laughs) The truth is, honestly, you want a person that can still have a life, but wants to do life with you. That's a completely different situation. And I just say that as a friend to you, that that, pay attention to that, okay? And the second thing is, it can be free of divided interest and concerns. You can be free of divided interest and concerns. In other words, again, the math changes. So notice what I said. These are potential advantages. What does that mean? That means that just because a person's single and has more time doesn't mean they take advantage of it. Just because a person's married doesn't mean they can't also have a multiplied fruitfulness. It's potential advantages. Have you ever noticed that the more time you have, the more you squander it? Whereas if you only have so much time to do the same thing, you actually rise to the occasion. Have you ever noticed that? So these are only potential. When people say, well, I'm single so I can be more effective to the Lord. Maybe if you take advantage of it, but also you can also figure out a way that if you have a partner who's also devoted to the Lord, you can actually multiply and do some powerful things. So he's just saying, be careful that you don't, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and think there's only one way, okay? So notice this. He also goes on and says, being single has challenges. You may choose to marry. If you're following along, being single, he says, has challenges. You may choose to marry. Verse 36 speaks to one of these challenges. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. This same idea of, you know, not able to, you know, controls passions, this other idea. The idea is also could be translated that if the woman feels like she's getting too old and needs to get married, this same idea, it's for men or women, there's these pressures. 
So he's saying, look, if you get to the place and you realize that's the only thing that's really holding you back because you know you love the Lord and you can be devoted to the Lord, go ahead and get married. It's, it's not a sin. Even though as a single person, I would counsel you nine times out of ten to stay single because I've seen how effective that can be. But he's saying, I'm not going to try and control you or restrain you. I want you to see the advantages in both if you're devoted to the Lord. And so um, this, this uh, challenge is, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, because um, I met with a couple groups of single people in our church about three or four weeks ago, and they were so gracious to give me time, and I just asked them, what are the challenges, what are the benefits or the advantages that you see sometimes of being single, and uh, let's talk about that, and, and they were very helpful, and I'll come back to that. So here's the big idea, verse 37. He says this, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, that word for mind there is cardia for heart, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. And you can see Paul, he's saying, look, I prefer this way, but he says both are right. Both can be right. It's just make sure you settle it in your own heart and mind. So if you're following along, settle whether to stay single in your own heart, he's saying. Look, settle it. Now, why is this so important? He's trying to help them grow up in Christ. He's trying to help them become the kind of person that when nobody else is around, no spiritual leader is around, they're learning how to pray, discern, trust, seek God, so that they don't have to be pressured by society. They don't have to have some leader that's always telling them exactly what to do, but they can say, Lord, I've come to peace in my own heart and mind that I could be single the rest of my life and be okay with that. Or Lord, you know that I would like to marry someone and I don't know who it is, but I'm going to ask you to lead me to them if that's really your plan. Or Lord, while I'm waiting, show me how to use this time for you so that no matter what happens, I'm with you. See, and that's settling it in your own heart and mind because, friends, all of us are subject to insecurity. All of us. And we can suddenly second-guess ourselves or we can say, okay. But when you begin to come to a place where you become decisive and say, okay, God, that's maturity. And so he says that in verse 38 through 40. He just adds one more detail. He says, so then, I read that, and it says, a woman is bound, verse 39, to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies... She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now notice that I list in that very first line of this section that there are people in our church who are widowed, divorced, single parents, hope to marry, and people who are content not to ever marry. And now he's speaking to people that are widowed. And he's just saying, look, if you lost your spouse, you're free to remarry again. You know, you're also free to stay single. But if you decide to get married... Marry someone who belongs to the Lord. Why is this important? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, don't marry Christians. Marry a growing Christian. I mean, you know, don't, don't date or marry. Marry someone who's going to help you serve the Lord. And so that leads us to this good news of this passage. Here it is. Unmarried or married, we can serve the Lord now. Unmarried or married, we can serve. We get to serve the Lord now. And in a church like this, I just want to say this to you. If you are a single person and you wonder if you're valuable and needed in this church, you are. We need the way you can serve the Lord. 
If you're a married person, you may say, it's, you know, it's important. There's so many people. In this. Hey, we, we get to serve the Lord now. And if you'll just become more and more realizing that's what the target, that's why you're here. That's, that's part of what we got called to do is to point people to Jesus and serve his church and care about people beyond our walls. We can do that now. And so I want to talk to you about what that might look like with the rest of the time we have. What does it mean to be a church that honors one another? So I told you I met with these uh, couple groups. So um, when I met with them, I asked them, I said, tell me, tell me the benefits of being single. Tell me the challenges that you find being single. And again, there's people from all these five different groups that I just mentioned. And uh, then also, um, tell me what, how you see our church doing in making you feel honored or valued. And then also, what would you say to the church if you had an opportunity to talk to the church? So I asked them those questions. And interestingly, one of the first things that came out in the conversation was this next line in the notes that I've summarized, okay? Because a person said they would want to say to our church, single person now, I said, see me as a person. That's really powerful. So I list that because I've, I've done that before when I've talked on this subject. See everyone, if you're following along, married or single, as a person. See everyone, married or single, as a person. What does that mean? That means don't see them as a project. Don't see them as a category. Don't see them as cootie filled. See them as a person. A person that matters to God, a person that has value, a person that is more multifaceted than I can possibly label them and just begin to see them. That means that when you look at that person, you don't try to fix them and you don't try to fix them up. You see them as a person to relate to. You don't look at them with suspicion out of hand. What you do is you say, there must be a lot to that person. Lord, help me see them. You know, one of the reasons why so many people were attracted to Jesus when he was here on earth, they had never, ever had someone who really saw them. Through his eyes, his eye contact, when he would look at people, they knew they were in the presence of someone who was taking them seriously and did not have this quick way we all do of reducing people down. A lady this past week was talking about how men and women relate to each other, and she says, I have no desire to reduce or seduce you. I thought, what a great heart. See, we're not talking about using people, and I know in a church like this, sometimes we can move towards someone and say, I see you, but the whole intent is to use you or to somehow take advantage. And, I'm, and I hope no one hears me. I'm talking about healthy boundaries, total appropriateness now. But I'm saying, do we see each other as categories or do we see each other as people? Because when we do, it is so powerful. This next thing, here's something that was helpful too, is I, I just sense this whole idea of how challenging it was. So that before I give you the idea, one of the things they said is here's some of the challenges. They said, First of all, it's more challenging to go somewhere to eat because almost all tables are set up for at least two or four. And so I, I, I've gotten okay with it now, but it's not always easy to go out and just eat as a single person. They said sometimes traveling, especially for women, can be more complicated. They said, you know, if you have children, uh, then it's extra challenging because you don't have anybody to tag team with. Or if you go sometimes with people and you're a single person, you feel like a tag along and it can just be an awkward deal. They said, you know, having children, uh, I find that I'm the only one that has to answer all their questions. I have no one else that can answer their questions. And what's hard is when they ask me questions about my ex-spouse, 
I don't always know how to answer those. I was just thinking about, man, they said sometimes when I'm making decisions, it would be so helpful to have someone else to confer with sometimes. That can be a challenge. I said, what what are some of the benefits? They said, well, they said, uh, there is a certain freedom that we have to serve the Lord where we don't have to ask someone first, and we can do that. Even with kids, they said, it's easier sometimes to serve the Lord than being married. One lady said, the first time I was ever able to tithe was once I got divorced because my husband had pressured me that I didn't have any money that I could give, and I wanted to give to the Lord, and I didn't know how to do that. There's just all kinds of things. They also talked about the fact that you can learn how to, you know, help other people out, look for ways. All these things were shared, but uh, one of the things they said was it's especially hard to come to church and sit in this room because it just reminds me that I'm alone in this world compared to maybe the people sitting next to me. Now, that's just how it felt. And so this next line, I think, is so important. Find ways to include and build up no matter one's status. Find ways to include and build up no matter one's status. So could I just give you the cliff notes of one of the things I try and come back to again and again as I try and live the Christian life? The two things that I try and do every day and I fail a number of days, I try to acknowledge the Lord in all my ways, Proverbs 3, 6, and then I try to acknowledge people that cross my path whether they're in the service industry, whether I'm in a meeting with them, whether they're somebody I've never met before. But I, I realize that part of seeing someone is acknowledging them. And so, but I can't acknowledge people well if I'm not first acknowledging the Lord. And when I acknowledge the Lord, now here's what I've noticed. So if I'm planning my week or laying out my schedule, sometimes I'll, it's just this simple. Lord, who do you want me to build up or include this week or be aware of? And what I've had to ask myself is, am I only thinking of people in my same marital status or am I also thinking of people that might be alone? Am I I thinking where I can figure out a way through a note, through a handshake, through a listening conversation, through, you know, again, if I see, one, one of the things a person said was, I love the Good Friday service where we come and kneel at these steps in front of the cross. But sometimes, taking communion that way, I notice walking up by myself on those steps, I'm conscious that I'm by myself. And I've, got, I've pushed through that, but just know that's not as easy to go in that situation. And I've thought to myself, next Good Friday service, if I see someone that's sitting by themselves, they may want to stay sitting by themselves, that's fine, but I'm going to at least say, hey, would you like to go up and take communion with Trish and me? Because I don't want to be the kind of person that stays insensitive or just not tracking, just saying, at least giving the Lord a chance to show me and guide my steps and grow that way. And, and again, maybe you're the same way. It's just so powerful when you begin to th- just ask the question, Lord, who? So let me just tell you a couple stories. So there was a lady that came to our church 17 years ago. Her name was Debbie. And Debbie had just gotten remarried. She had been divorced for a number of years and been a single mom. And she met a guy that loved the Lord, and so she was starting a new chapter. She got to our church, and within a year or two, I think she took the network class. 
The network class is a tremendous class, by the way. We encourage every person to take it. It's how you can discover what are your spiritual gifts, what ways can you serve both inside or outside our church. So she took the class, and she was having a hard time figuring out what should I do. Then it dawned on her that as she looked at our church, she saw that we weren't necessarily doing as much as we could for single parents, for single women. And so she began to say, how can I get on the solution side of that and get others to join me? And she began a Sunday school class that she didn't teach, but she found some ladies to teach it who are still doing that to this day, by the way. And they began to teach and they began to say, come join and we'll carry each other's burdens together and we'll learn together in this chapter. Well, she also realized that one of the most challenging times of the year is the beginning of school and also Christmas because the financial pressures of just one income And so uh, she started that. And so every year there is a meal for single parents, especially single moms in our church. And they they give them the school supplies, backpacks, things that'll help their kids feel just like the other kids when they go to school. And the other thing is at Christmas time, make sure that all of the single moms and parents in in our church uh, get a check. There was a lady this week that talked to me. and I said that I started coming to Cherry Hills and uh, within the first year or two, it was a bad year. Some things happened beyond my control and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no money to give to the kids uh, gifts for Christmas. And then a check arrived in the mail and I couldn't stop crying because I felt so valued and seen and remembered. I remember thinking, Jesus, that's always been your dream is that we would notice, we would see, we would value, we would care. There was a man in our church a number of years ago that said, you know, I can crank wrenches, I don't know what else I can do, but I can change someone's oil in their car. And he just began to do that on Saturdays at different times. And again, a number of single parents and single people started coming and and just appreciating that because their schedule was already tighter, the extra money and all that. And that's still going on, even though he moved away. Some other guys picked up that call. I could go on and on and on. When someone says, hey, um, we'll adopt your kids and help. Uh, we'll invite them. We'll go to their games. We'll do something. We'll, we'll adopt you. Not because you're a project or because we pity you. We see you. You're just as valuable as anybody else in our church, and we want you to know that. And friends, when that begins to happen, including and building up, powerful. And by the way, when single people say, how can I do something for someone else that may be across marital status lines too? Again, as long as it's appropriate, as long as it's healthy boundaries, it is the body of Christ in action. This last idea is live in devotion to Jesus, whatever situation you're in. Live in devotion to Jesus, whatever situation you're in. So I told you, that when I was reading this passage this week, while I wanted to understand what it said for unmarried and single people, what hit me was the word devotion. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Jeff, how's your devotion level with me? And I just just sensed that I... the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things somehow were working me away from full devotion to Christ and remembering why I'm here. I'm here to serve him more than myself. 
And so it's just a great reminder. And so whether you're married or single, let's remember that the target is to live as believers in this world. Boy, the world needs to see a difference of what Christ can do when we humbly walk with him and let it control us and guide us, care about people with a greater love than our own, and also when we live in a heart of devotion instead of just saying it's all about me and what the world can give me. So we're going to close by singing a song called Build Your Kingdom here, and here's why. Because that's what God wants to do right here. And I want to be a church, don't you, that's multi-generational, where every age group is valued and they learn how to love each other across generations. And I want to be a multi-marital status church that looks at each other not as categories, but as people that we can serve alongside each other. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.